welcome to another episode of Podtoon. Podtoons is presented by Bedtempories, bedtime stories that will keep you up at night. This episode, we will be diving into another fictional story called Cutting the Light. She climbed down the metal frame of the bunk bed. She dropped her prison scrubs, underwear, and spread her legs to hold them taut under her knees. The rim of the stainless steel bowl was so cold, the need to go retreated back up inside her. She relaxed as the seat warmed, and presently her stream began to flow. She climbed back up to her bunk and drank from her water bottle, though it would wake her again. It had begun to sting when she urinated, and she was hoping to stave off a UTI. Apocryphal thoughts of hepatitis plagued her, and she drank half the bottle. When she woke again, something was in the cell with her, a dark silhouette against the bars, and the urge to pee completely evaporated. It came towards her, with a familiar swagger. She scooted back into the corner of the cell, sitting up in her bunk with her knees against her chest. It put its elbow on the edge of the upper berth where her feet had been and said, in a lascivious tone. She let out an ear-piercing scream in the narrow acoustics of the prison cell. It nodded towards the bottom bunk and said, Don't worry, she won't wake up. Lights came on down the block in a succession of small explosions. And for a moment, she saw his face before he vanished into the light. Everything inside her let go and the depression in the mattress where she sat filled with hot, burning piss. Can a series of defeats in various fields over a long period of time result in success? He didn't think so. The laws of chance and probability just needed to reset. He had gone back to school after another layoff using the severance package, augmented by loans. He became a licensed therapist, But this too didn't work out, and he tried something else. After yet another debacle, he noticed a position at the state penitentiary for a therapist or social worker. His license hadn't been expired, and he applied. The job had been open for a long time, and the woman in HR took his application in semi-disbelief. He got the job. The guards and his manager were surprised at how inmates opened up to him and their fierce fidelity. He was surprised too. He didn't know how to help them and didn't try. Paradoxically, this seemed to be the source of his success. He had an office, several locks in, and split his time between the male and female populations. One afternoon, he saw his manager in the infirmary. We've got a request, she said, vaulting up onto an examination table, though she was older than himself. He sat down on a padded stool with squeaky wheels adjacent to the bed. Margaret Sintas wants to talk to you. He squinted his eyes, thinking over the warden staff. Leslie! Margaret Sintas, the woman who brutally murdered her boyfriend, it was on court TV for like five years. There are three books about her. Didn't you know she was here? Oh yeah, he said, though he still didn't really know. He had been divorced after a demanding relationship, and his children were omnivorous in their needs. It had resulted in kind of an open isolation. Friday afternoons are good, he suggested. I never have anything in the late afternoon. You don't have to do it, Leslie. Think about it. Do you not want me to do it? Uh, no. That's fine. I'll let them know. There's a problem, though. She's in segregation. The butcher paper made a crinkling sound as his manager slipped off the examination table. He stood up from the rolling stool, 
and for a moment, they were like doctor and patient. Leslie, she said, leaning into him in a confidential manner. Be careful. Margaret Sinta stabbed her boyfriend to death. One of her attorneys was disbarred. A couple of people she's been writing to have been arrested. And two weeks ago, her cellmate died. Very suspicious. He stopped by the library on his way home, but they didn't have her books. Smell me, she said. She put her fingertips to the gap. I took a shower today. The door to Margaret's isolation cell slid open rather than swinging on its hinges. There was a gap about a quarter of an inch between the door and the frame. It was the space they had to negotiate. He sat in a plastic chair adjacent to the gap rather than standing, as he had done in the first session. She sat on the floor of her cell with her legs crossed, leaning back against the heavy metal door. He got a vertical slice of her through the gap. She was an attractive woman, only just 32 years old with a life sentence. Orange prison scrubs lay loosely upon her, their v-neck revealing her collarbone. She passed a lock of her hair through the gap for him to smell as well. But all he could detect under the persuasive vapor of ammonia was an undercurrent of fecal matter and bile. It was a smell of incarceration, and he wondered if he'd carried it on him when he left in his clothes. You don't shower every day? No, and I didn't get out today, she said. There was some trouble in the pod, but yesterday I'd smelled something in the air that I hadn't smelled for a long time. When she didn't elaborate, he inquired. One season changing for another. Do they let you out on the weekends, like into the yard? There are no weekends, Leslie. You go home. I'm still here. He turned away, looking up and down the pod, through the thick windows and the doors of every isolation unit that was occupied, there was a woman's face in profile, like portraits hung along a prestigious corridor, turned all the better to hear what they were saying. Sometimes I envy inmates in the shoe, he said, waxing philosophical. No distractions, nothing between you and pure existence. A monastic life, more than. You don't even have to maintain yourself. It's what eternity must feel like. She looked at him narrowly through the narrow gap. He realized the appalling nature of what he had just said and apologized. Leslie, they're not punishing me. I want to be in here. Why? She lifted up her arm and leaned in toward him. There was a little rush of displaced air through the gap, and he got a whiff of a strong soap she had used on her body. Her raised arm was blocking his view, and he could see down the sleeve to her freshly shaved underarm beyond. When she withdrew her arm, he saw her again. She had a smug expression on her face. He didn't understand and felt sheepish for being distracted. All he could do now was recall that there had been a dull clicking sound and some indefinable change in the atmosphere. He looked at her, puzzled. Lights, she said impatiently. There's a switch in here. Oh, he said. Power and control, he thought. How's your girlfriend, Doc? One of the guards said, while he was waiting to be escorted out of the pod. Clean and comfortable, thanks to you. It's like a Motel 6 in here. They'll be trashing the place soon enough, she responded. We're about due. Adjacent to the monitors, there was a diagram of the pod on the wall in the control room. Each occupied cell had a strip of masking tape with the name of a prisoner written on it. On Margaret's, there was a colored photograph stuck to the wall as well. It had been torn from a book. 
In it, Margaret was sporting a swimsuit. Additions had been drawn onto her figure and there was an obscene caption. Leslie flipped it up from the bottom to see the picture on the other side. Is like that? The guard said. She began rummaging through a drawer of the desk she sat at. Amongst the folders and manuals, she collected a paper back book, handing it to him. It was about Margaret, but for the missing page in the photograph section, it was clean and tight. And when he brushed his thumb across the pages, he could still smell the ink of the print. You don't control the lights in the cells? He asked, gesturing with the book back toward the pod. No, there's an override though, somewhere. She found it, shifting a small tower of stacked racks for paperwork. Behind it were individual switches in a dusty electrical box for each of the cells. Little strips of green embossing tape labeled the corresponding units. He had already begun reading the paperback when there was a buzz followed by the clicking sound of a lock mechanism releasing. His escort had arrived. He found me. I don't understand. He said. Come closer, she said. I don't want them to hear. Margaret was kneeling toward him on the cement floor of the cell. Her knees were pressed together and the palms of her hands were grasping them. She was leaning very close to the gap. He saw a cross-section of her face, forehead, hairline, eyebrow, pupil, the corner of her lip, her chin, down the v-neck of her scrubs, and into her bosom. He took a last look around as if apologizing to the faces in the door windows, seeking their authorization, some guarantee. They were frozen in concentration, necks craning, the better to listen. He leaned in. When he turned his head to the side to hear, he lost sight of her, and suddenly the quarter-inch gap seemed room enough and to spare for the sharpened end of a comb or a toothbrush. But all he felt was a pressure of her breath against the cup of his ear. Orin found me, she whispered. He knew Orin. He had read the book about the murder and the trial in three consecutive days, largely after 10 p.m. What do you mean? He found me. You mean here? I've seen him in the shadows and corners. He can't come into the light. He wants to take me. Take you where? With him. Leslie leaned back on the plastic chair, breathing through his mouth. Margaret moved away from the gap, widening his view. I wish you could touch me, she said, showing him. Leslie found a flat space on the edge of his manager's desk and signed his performance review. His wrist bumped a large white binder, and his signature came out lopsided and juvenile. The review had been good though, excellent even. His manager took the endorsed paper from him through a small canyon of debris built up on either side of her desk and said, Mr. Vesta got a letter from Margaret. He blushed with apprehension. She said you're the only one here who cares. And what, uh, did you say? He asked awkwardly. I told him it's not the first time I've heard that. She set the performance review down on a disheveled heap of papers, and he wondered if she would ever find it again. The office had enough clutter for any three people. There's an opening at BOP you might think about applying for. It's more of an analyst position, out of population. They're really interested in addressing mental health issues, sort of like a comprehensive approach. He nodded, raising his eyebrows and pursing his lips in mock consideration. But he knew what he was and the extent of what he had to offer. Though rare, he was merely someone you could tell the truth to. We'd hate to lose you, Leslie, but do as well as you've done here, and in a couple of years, you'll be running the whole region. After making a speculative hum, he thanked her and left. You do it every day? He asked. Yes. For how long? 
Margaret was bottomless but for her underwear, and standing on her head with her ankles providing support against the heavy door of the cell. The top of her scrubs had fallen around her shoulders, revealing a sports bra doing reverse duty. Hmm, about three minutes. No, I mean meditating. It's not what you think, Leslie. I'm not trying to become one with the universe. Presently, she tipped over gracefully, but remained lying on her cheeks and knees till the blood recirculated. Her face was turned towards him, arms stretched flat on the cement against her sides. He thought if he could see them, her palms would be up. What do you think about? Honestly, food. She said, raising up to her knees gradually. She recollected the hair of her ponytail and cinched it up. She pulled the top of her scrubs down and sat cross-legged, leaning against the cell's door, pooling her hands in the excess material in the hollow of her folded legs. The supple skin of her inner thighs had not yet been touched by the gray pallor of confinement. Like what? Lasagna, donuts, anything. I can taste it if I concentrate. It was getting late, beyond his time, but he ventured. Is this how you can see Oren? Through meditation? No. She put her index finger against her lip, then beckoned him with it. He's been searching for me. She whispered through the gap into his ear. It took him a while to find me, but he was determined. Why would he do that? Come back? Linger? Seems like a lot of effort. Why not just go on to whatever's next? Revenge, she said. He didn't move, though. Margaret said no more. This woman who had maintained her innocence through all the years of investigation, two entire trials, the appeals, and incarceration itself, with the most wildly implausible defense, lying like a stubborn child, just confessed in his hearing. She swore loudly in his ear and jumped up. A current of water was streaming across the cement floor of the pod. A finger had channeled under her door. There were little torn bits of paper on it, which collected at a drain in the narrow hallway, blocking it up. He hustled out, forgetting the chair. They were putting on riot gear in the control room and were paying no attention to him. It looked like an amateur performance of Star Wars. Black helmets with visors, discreet pieces of body armor, canisters, batons, bizarre guns, and clear shields. We've got two covering up, one of the guards said with an air of vindication. We're locked down. It's going to be a long night. Make yourself comfortable. He had been standing for some time, the only chair available being the office chair at the desk. Only then did he take a seat, though it had been unoccupied. The guards took a long time preparing, planning a course of action by procedure and suggestion. Meanwhile, the noise from the pod was approaching bedlam levels and a rank smell of raw sewage had welled up. Finally, the guards formed a double line and went in, and Leslie was left alone to observe their progress on the monitors. There was a vertical window of thick glass in the control room, very narrow, looking upon an unidentifiable part of the prison grounds. It was after the time change and getting dark early. The floodlights were already on. He jerked reflexively, and a chill swept over him. On one of the monitors covering the passage down the pod, a civilian figure stood in the slim shadow of a square brick column built into the wall. Leslie half stood, raising his hands as if to call attention. On the screen, guards were nearby, passing the column, but none took notice. He sat back in the chair with one hand on his head to aid his muddled comprehension. He passed his fingertips over the screen, trying to erase the figure as if it were a dark smudge. But it was him. Like Margaret said, 
He studied the grainy image and he remembered the account in the book, the autopsy report, of the horrific wounds Oren had sustained and the cause of death. He shifted the stacked racks of paperwork on the desk, found the override to Margaret's cell. He waited until the moment the guards breached the cell of one of the other prisoners that had covered the thick glass window of the heavy door with her mattress. Then he cut the power in Margaret's isolation unit. In the pandemonium that ensued, he couldn't have heard it if he hadn't been listening for it. Amongst the howling insanity, the flooding water, the kicking and pounding, he heard her scream. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podtoon. Podtoons is updated on a weekly basis, so be sure to tune in next week.